response, and that's another good one. And uh, praise the Lord for his love. Does anyone need an outline for tonight? If you didn't get an outline, you'd like one. Johnny wouldn't mind jumping up and getting you one. Anybody need one? And uh, there we go. We've only got Johnny here a couple more weeks. Or I could just pray college doesn't open up and you can stay around longer. And he's like, no, I want to get back. I don't want to be around all of you anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Johnny wouldn't say that. If you need an outline, slip your hand up and he'll get you one. We've been talking about being spiritually fit. Being spiritually fit. James chapter number one is where we're going to turn tonight. James chapter number one. I laid the foundation for this series the past two weeks, and literally what I'm going to be doing is I'm not going to go verse by verse through the book of James, but I'm going to give you some practical tips for practical Christian living and being spiritual, getting spiritually fit from the book of James. And so I'm going to give you a couple quick announcements real quick, and then we will be moving along with things Sunday Night begins vacation Bible school for our kids, and so that will be a good thing. And the governor just started allowing kids' sports programs to start up again. So it works out perfectly. Vacation Bible school, that's just a kids' sport program, right? It fits perfectly with that. And they say, just do it outdoors and you're good, and that's what we're going to do. So, man, kids' kids sporting events and uh, vacation Bible school will be good for our kids. So that will be Sunday nights the next four weeks. With that, our series on getting spiritually fit will be moving to Sunday nights, starting this Sunday night. So this Sunday night, we're going to finish up, finish up the rest of to verse number 18 of James chapter 1 here. So, and then starting next Wednesday night, the kids won't be having class anymore on Wednesdays because they're having Sunday night. They'll be in here on Wednesdays. And so next Wednesday night, we're going to go back to the books of the Bible on Wednesday nights. So I think it's important for the kids to be in church at least once a week because Otherwise, they're going to get in the sixth grade or so, and then they're going to start being in there and be like, oh, pastor's boring compared to my teacher. Doesn't have candy for me or anything else. It's a good habit to get into being in the service, and uh, that's a good thing. And so that's about it for announcements that I'll give tonight. A week from, oh, I'll give another couple. Next, a week from Saturday, Saturday um, the 14th, we have a men, that's Friday night, sorry, Friday night the 14th. We have a men's get-together, a men's fellowship. We'll have a guest speaker come. We'll be outside, have dinner together. Six to eight will be the time for that. And so that will be on um, the 14th. And that will be it for tonight. That's all I'll go over. And uh, James chapter number one, we're going to get into the Word of God being spiritually fit. We're going to look at trials tonight. One of our favorite things, right? How many of you like trials? Would you raise your hand for me? None of us do, but they're to help us, and we're going to look at that tonight, we'll look at several verses. We're going to read verse 1 through verse number 12, and then we'll dive into these verses. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brother, and count it all joy, let's read that again, that's not a misprint there, my brother, and count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraid not. You see, this is the only time in the Bible where God's a liberal in giving wisdom, okay? That's the only time. 
Other than that, that's the only time it's okay for him to be liberal. And it says, Now brayeth not, and it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Skip down to verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Father, we come to you tonight grateful for another opportunity to be in your house. We love you, and we need you, and we thank you for this time. Help us tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture. Help us apply it to our lives and our hearts, and help us spiritually with these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A man who filed an insurance claim was asked for additional information from the company, and this was his response. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the date of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-foot building. When I completed my work, I found that I had 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel using a pulley, which unfortunately was attached, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, um, swung the barrel out, and lowered the bricks into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in blank number 11 of the accident report that I weigh 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and the broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground, and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid the weight of bricks, the barrel that weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in blank number 11, 135 pounds. As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for my two fractured ankles and lacerations on my lower body area. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to stand, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. The empty barrel weighed more than the rope, so it came back down on me and broke both my legs. I hope I have furnished the information you have required." That's the definition of a bad day, isn't it? Some of you are going through a barrel of problems as it feels like bricks have broken you 
into pieces. Maybe you're at the end of your rope and you're just about ready to let go. A couple of years ago, I received an email from a church member, and these are some of the things that it said. Why does it seem some people just can't get a break? It isn't right and it isn't fair to those of us who are trying to, to do what's right. Why do things always have to happen in my family? I mean, I know it's not just mine, but did I do something to deserve this? I just want to give up. I want to fight. I want to run. I hate this. That was an email I got a few years ago. Most of us hate going through hard times. In fact, no one said a minute ago that they like going through trials. The book of James, and we're going to look at several things over the next few weeks, is likely the first book written in the New Testament, technically. It was written by Jesus' half-brother, one of his half-brothers, James. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And it was probably the first book, as I mentioned, written. The Gospels, though the events are before this time, they probably were not written until after this time. And if I were to give you a summary of the book of James, it would be practical Christian living. That's what the book of James is all about, practical Christian living. And James basically wants to make sure right beliefs gets translated into right behavior. That's what he's trying to get across here, that our conduct matches our creed. We're called to be doers and not simply hearers. There's 108 verses in the book and 54 different commands in this small five-chapter book. Everyone is faced with two things that can mess up your faith. Trials and temptations. This book begins tonight. We're going to look at pers persevering through trials Sunday night, Lord willing. We're going to look at dealing with temptation. And the Bible's clear on these things here. Trials that test us will toughen our faith if we don't allow temptations to trip us up. I'll repeat that for you. Trials that test us will toughen our faith if we don't allow temptations to trip us up. Trials from without and temptations from within are no match for the Christian who stands in truth from above. Let's jump in. Look at that first verse. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. I mentioned James is the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And instead of reciting his resume, he doesn't say, hey guys, it's James, the half-brother of Jesus. I got to grow up with the guy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't say, hey, I'm the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. No, he doesn't go through his um, resume. He talks about his servanthood. The word James, a servant of God, the word for servant is a bondservant, meaning his will is consumed in fulfilling the will of his master. And you notice how he identifies God and Jesus as co-equals. 
We see the word Lord is the Old Testament equivalent of Jesus or Yeshua, meaning the one who saves. And Christ is the anointed one or the Messiah. The book of James refers to or alludes to 22 books of the Old Testament. And I know I'm not giving you a complete overview of the book of James. We'll get there on Wednesday nights in the future as we get through the books of the Bible. But this makes sense, and as we look at this passage of Scripture, go, I think, do you have Acts chapter 8, verse number 1? No. Take your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. I couldn't remember if I put that to be in the notes or not. Acts chapter number 8. We just read there in verse number 1, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Well, look at Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They were all scattered abroad. Who was? The church members of the church in Jerusalem. Persecution had come. So who is James writing to in the book of James? He's writing to his church members, those who were with him in Jerusalem who had been scattered abroad because of the persecution. That's what we see before our eyes tonight. And we see here, and as we look and as we study this tonight, I want you to see several things when it comes to trials. And I want to talk tonight about trials to test us. Because it's so easy to get off course when life messes up or when trials come. But when we look at this about trials tonight, we see three commands that we as the children of God, and as we're supposed to be getting spiritually fit, three commands that we must obey. Number one is this, count it all joy. Look at verse number two there, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. The word count has the idea of pressing your mind down on something. The picture is of someone leading his or her mind through a reasoning process to arrive at a conclusion. We're to weigh our worries and add up our adversity in order to put them into perspective. That's what it's talking about right here. Warren Worsby says it like this. He writes, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter and not better. James commands here, count it all joy. We tend to equate happiness with joy. But happiness is often dependent upon what is happening to me. If things are happy in my life, then I'm happy. If my happenings are horrible, then I'm not happy. But I want you to understand what joy means. 
Joy is deep satisfaction that comes from knowing God is in control even when my circumstances seem to be out of control. I'll repeat that one more time. Joy is deep satisfaction that comes from knowing God is in control even when my circumstances seem to be out of control. It says, it doesn't say, my brother, be happy when you fall into diverse temptations, because when you're going through a trial, you're not really happy. But it says, hey, count it all joy. As we look at joy and we think about joy, and joy is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We see these different things. We see, count it all joy. And you notice that phrase, my brethren. It's a term used that reminds born-again believers we're members of the family of God. It literally means those from the same womb. It's used 15 times in the book of James. You notice James doesn't say, if you fall into trials. What does it say? When. It's not a matter of if, it's going to happen. James says, my brother, and count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. The word fall has the idea of falling or stumbling. The word diverse is kind of the same phrase used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. The Hebrew equivalent is Joseph's coat of many colors. The diversity of the colors, so many different colors. That's the Hebrew equivalent to this word diverse right here. The Bible says, my brother, and count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. We see the first commands to count all joy. Number two, concentrate on the benefits. Remember how I just told you a minute ago that word count, and as we looked at that word count, We're supposed to be pressing our minds down on something. It's the picture of someone leading his or her mind through a reasoning process to arrive at a conclusion. Well, this is why you can count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Look at verse 3 there. It says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The word knowing right there Um, literally means to know from experience. The word trying there refers to precious metals being heated until all the impurities rise to the top to be scraped off. Great example of that word trying there would be Job chapter 23, verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Someone said it like this, God often puts us in situations that are too much for us so that we'll learn that no situation is too much for Him. We often hear Christians say, and you hear them, God will never give you more than you can handle. Can you find that verse for me, please? Anybody? Can you find that verse? Christians say a lot of things that are not biblical. That's not a biblical phrase. 
Think about it this way. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, right? He never gives you more than he can handle. It would be a better way of wording that, I think. God doesn't give us more than we can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle. Somebody say, I can't handle this, pastor. Well, you can't on your own. And when you think you can, we can't. We need him. We need his help. And hey, Christian, and this is, this is one of the things that happens so often. You come to my office and through counseling and different things, so often when our trials come, it's going to be one of two things. And some of you sitting in this room, I've told you this when we've talked before. It's going to be one of two things. You're either going to get bitter at God about what you're going through, and you're going to pull away from God, or this is going to get you better and closer to God. It's going to do one of two things. That's what trials always do. It's a sad thing. See, so and it, I, I, I hate seeing Christians struggle. I hate seeing our church family struggle. And there are several in this room watching online tonight, a lot of people struggling right now. But may I remind you tonight, you need God right now. This is not the time to pull away from him, to get mad at God. That's not what this is about. This is the time to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But our minds, it happens. And sometimes we think we're going through this trial, and we think God's going to forget. God's not near me. He doesn't love. Oh, the love of God. Didn't we just sing a song about that just a few minutes ago? It shall forevermore endure the saints. There's nothing that can stop his love. Sometimes I think that when we go through trials, we think that God's sitting up there like, <laughs> look at them down there. They're suffering. <laughs> if that's your view of God, you got something wrong. God's not up there laughing when you're struggling. He's there. When you walk through the water, I will be with thee. I'll be right there. I'm right there with you. How many of you have children that you see them, go, grandchildren or children, you see them go down a path that they shouldn't go and you see them stumble up a little bit? Do you sit there and just laugh at them? No, it breaks your heart, right? So how much more would a loving Heavenly Father, He's not going to look at <laughs> No, He's not going to do that. He's, look, he's there to help you. So when you're going through it, that's not the time to pull away from God. That's the time to get near to God. And there are so many great verses. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When you're going through it, don't pull away from God. Get closer to God. But I don't know what it is about all of us. And I do it too. We all do. It's not God's fault. Well, God could change it. Yeah, I'm sure these early Christians thought the same thing. I think James would have liked to have all of his church members still at his church. It wasn't going to work out that way. My brother encountered all joy when he followed into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith Worketh, that word worketh means produces. 
So think about this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience or endurance. God's purpose in allowing trials into our life is to make us more like Him. It doesn't make complete sense to us. Sometimes we look and we're like, well, what did I do to make God do this to me? Well, you see the verse that's up on the screen? Do you see who the, the book of Job? Yeah, Job was a terrible man, wasn't he? He was so bad, and that's why God did everything he did or allowed Satan to do all those things. Do you know what Job's big problem was? That God bragged about him. Job was a good man. He was a really good man. And because of that, Satan's like, hey, if you took away all those things, he's, gonna, he's not going to be such a good guy. I mean, look at the trials in his life. Trials come. But knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I love this. I heard someone say this, and I wish I could remember who said it. Maybe I need to go online and see who said it, but listen to this. God already knows what's in our heart. But he tests us so we'll see it for ourselves. I'll repeat that one more time. His mom's not even in here. so She took baby, babysitting service and went and had dinner or something. No, who knows? Um, man, distractions. You know, when we first started meeting back together a while back, I loved distractions again. I'm like, man. And then Sunday morning, someone walked in now three times in the second service. I'm not going to say who it was or anything. And then distractions are starting to bother me again. So we're getting back to normal when distractions start to bother me again. And uh, so I'll repeat what I said. And if you know who said it, you can tell me later. But God already knows what's in our heart, but he tests us so we'll see it for ourselves. The testing of your faith produces the ability to remain under without going under. When we persevere, our trials make us complete. We see this in verse number four. Look at what it says there. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Persevering, steadfastness, brings us to an intended end. If we persevere under pressure, we will become finished and fruitful. The phrase wanting nothing means that all the necessary parts are present. If you and I want to be a mature Christian and grow in the Lord, we must learn to stay under our suffering. I know. Lord, take this away, please. I would prefer not to go through this right now. God, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done. Could you just take this away? How many of us pray that when we're going through a trial? But you got to let it finish. You got to keep going in the midst of it. Because when 
It's finished. We're complete. And we grow. As hard as that sounds. Only those who go through some messes will become mature. Sometimes you look at certain people, you're like, man, I wish I had their Christianity. But you don't know what they've gone through to become that Christian. Oh, their life was probably easy. You don't know that. And something that's easy for you is so hard for someone else. But Christian, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her. And you know, you hear that people say, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience. That's not really scriptural either. We need to let patience have her perfect work, that we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Trials help us become what God wants us to be. But that's where number three, the third command, not only are we supposed to count it all joy and concentrate on the benefits, we got to connect to God's wisdom. James 1.5 is probably one of the most famous um, or most popular passages in James, but it's often taken out of context. Look at this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And I hear preaching a lot and I've preached it probably, I'm sure, in the past. And I'll just take this one verse and say, hey, if you're lacking wisdom in your life, just ask God and he'll give it to you. But put this in context with what we read a few minutes ago. So we're supposed to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. They may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. God says he'll give wisdom when we're wondering what's going on in the hard time we're facing in the trial. That's putting this in context right here. Hey, you need to count it all joy. You got to concentrate on the benefits. And you got to connect to God's wisdom. God gives wisdom in two ways. We see it right before our eyes right here. First way is this, generously. This is the present tense of the word liberally, which means he keeps on giving generously wisdom. And then, secondly, the way God gives it is graciously. God gives wisdom as a gift. It shall be given him. We need wisdom. Hey, when our trials come, we need wisdom. Why? So we don't miss what God's trying to teach us where we're at. For me, when I don't have God's wisdom on a trial I'm going through, I end up just whining. God, why? 
And you know what I'm talking about. Why, God? Why are you? No, we need, if any of you like, God, God, help me understand. Give me your wisdom through this trial. We're to ask without doubting, and he'll give it to us. That's what the Bible says here. Look at verse 6 and 7. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. You see that right there? Don't doubt it. Go to the Lord in faith. When we're all torn up inside by our trials we're going through, we can become very unstable. Look at what the next verse says right there. Even a doubter, look at verse number 8 there. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The word was used, and this word as we look here, unstable, to describe someone staggering like a drunken man. That's why, let me give you a little tip. In the midst of a trial, in the midst of going through it, don't be hasty to make decisions. Don't rush to decisions. Because this is what happens when we go through trials and as we struggle and as we go through these things. If your heart and mind are divided, trials will tear you apart. Heal and make decisions. Get wisdom from God. Take your time. Sometimes we rush. We have a, a, so many times, I give so many examples over the past several years where a trial, something comes and a relationship, a hurt in a relationship, whatever the case may be, and that there's like a rebound, right? And it's like, no, 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 just slow down, slow down. Calm down. Breathe. Don't jump into something. What's God trying to teach you where you're at? Just slow down a little bit. Because when we're broken, when we're in the midst of a trial, that's not the time to make a major decision. What you need to be doing in the midst of a trial is saying, God, I need your wisdom. I don't see what you're trying to teach me. And I know you tell me in your word here I'm supposed to count it all joy. I know I'm supposed to consider the benefits, but I need your wisdom. Too many people, when they're unstable, make a lot of decisions that hurt them in the long run. Be very careful with that. Get wisdom from God and get his help. C.S. Lewis was once asked, why do the righteous suffer? And this was his reply. Why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Why do the righteous suffer? Let's be honest. All people suffer. I know sometimes we look and we're like, I've been trying to live for God, and why does their life look so good and my life look the way it does? You cannot look at someone else's life. You can't. Oh, but look at how happy they are. Look at how mi- I've been trying to live for God my, li- my whole life, and look at how miserable I am. No, 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 no. Why, 
why do why do we have problems in this world? Are you ready? You already know these things, but it's good to remind you. Because we live in a fallen world and bad things happen to all of us. It's the truth. You might say, well, it doesn't look like so-and-so. Well, maybe they're on a mountaintop at the moment, but everyone comes back down into the valley. Everyone does. And praise God for when someone has a mountaintop time and be grateful that they have that time. Because sometime they'll be in the valley and you'll be on the mountaintop. It changes. We live in a fallen world. Number two, we have no control over many things that happen to us or to those around us. We have no control. Wouldn't it be nice if we had control? It would be nice. I would like to have control over so many things, but that's not how it works. And then, this, is, this one's powerful, we do have complete control over how we respond. That's a tough one. I cannot control what happens in my life, but I can control how I respond to it. And that's where we need the wisdom of God and His help. Then the fourth one is our responsibility to our trials largely determines our spiritual growth or lack thereof. Hey, Christian, the trial that you're going through at the moment, or that you might, and you might say, well, pastor, I don't need this message tonight because everything's going good. You might need it tomorrow or next week. And if you live in 2020, we all need it right now, okay? This year, I tell you. But anyways, when you go through it, James looked to his church members that were scattered everywhere. Hey, count it all joy. You had to leave your family. You had to leave your church family. You're worried about persecution. Hey, Christian, count it all joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If you lack wisdom... Ask God. He'll help you. He'll help you get through. And then drop down to verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I mentioned trials that test us will toughen our faith if we don't allow temptations to trip us up. Sunday night, we'll look at how to avoid temptation. Because it comes, it does. Sometimes in the midst of a trial is when strong temptation comes. Or maybe when you give victory in a trial, then the temptation comes. But it's there. And so we're looking at and just studying this fact of Spiritually being fit. If we're going to be spiritually fit, we need the Word of God. We looked at that last week. we got to be doers of it, not hearers only, which we'll look at in a few weeks here. But you got to continue on through your trials. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Keep moving forward for God. Look, and you say, well, pastor, there's no... I have no happiness in my life. There's no joy. 
I don't think those Christians that James was writing to had much joy in their life. I really don't. But that word count means you got to find it. And that's part of getting the wisdom from God and his help. Count it all joy. Consider or concentrate on the benefits of it. And then, thirdly, connect to God's wisdom. And just keep moving forward. None of us enjoy trials, but when we're tried, we'll come forth with gold. One of my favorites, and I mentioned earlier tonight in the service, I mentioned Ron Hamilton tonight. And Caroline, I'll have you go to the piano. We're going to sing. See if you can find the words to rejoice in the Lord. I think it's on the screen back there. I like that now the live stream, we don't have to worry about it. I could add a song or do whatever I want because they're all available back there. Ron Hamilton, he's uh, 70 years old now, Patch the Pirate. Some people know him, some people don't know him very well. Basically, he had cancer in his early 30s, late 20s, and uh, they removed his eye because of it. Now he's 70 years old. Come to find out, for several years, he's had strong dementia. And he's to the point now to where he can't even get himself dressed and feed himself. And uh, I heard the other day his wife was speaking, and uh, a nurse gets him ready each day and gets him does diff- and gets him ready for the day and at night gets him ready for bed and gets him into bed. And his prayer every night is that God would use him and his music. And that's what God's done. And he was able to take the trials of his life and to be able to rejoice in the Lord.